claustrophobic people are perfectly okay with their brains being trapped inside their head at all times. I don't even know how to respond to that, man. <laughs> I personally don't have claustrophobia, but I know someone's going to hear this and it's going to get them. And that was really the goal. The thing that always gets me is the fact that um, your bones are always wet. <laughs> your bones are always wet. You can also feel your clothes on your skin at all times, but your brain chooses to ignore it. Just like you can always see your nose, but you choose to ignore it. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on classes. I'm Adam, and with me today are James and Kyle, and this episode is called Fighters, Schleppin' Weapons and Wieldin' Shieldins. I did that specifically for Dan, he's not even on this fucking episode. So... We've previously covered the Battlemaster Champion and Eldritch Knight in our first fighter episode, which started off with a breakdown of the regular class features and level progression. In our second fighter episode, we went over the Arcane Archer, Cavalier, and Samurai, as well as the sections in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, which encouraged players to think about a fighter's heraldic sign, instructor, and signature style. You can find these episodes, as well as our other class episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on classes that we've got built over there. This episode of the It's Mimic podcast heads to the Sword Coast in the distant realm of Exandria to cover the fighter subclasses listed there before looking at the pages of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything to look at the new options for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. It's not all swinging swords and surging action, though, as this panel of Dungeon Masters has discovered. So grab your heavy armor and push the nerd with the spellbook out of the way, because this episode launches into two more subclasses, as well as all of the optional class features for fighters offered in Tasha's. Now, I've got a soft spot for fighters in my campaigns, but I'd probably never play one myself. Uh, Kyle and James, do you guys, do you like fighters? How do you feel about them overall? Hate them. Hate them with a passion. Why? They, they fall in the same category as variant human. Like, if I wanted to be generic and boring, I'd go play uh, Skyrim. I don't need a role-playing game with my friends to be that generic. Kyle? Uh, you know what? I, I would have said no before this episode, before like doing my research. But now I've found one in there that I really want to play out. So Okay, I'm uh, eager to find out what, what your subclass is because I have already forgotten. Um, but yeah. honestly... Oh, I don't want to play this one. I hate this one. Oh, you hate this one. <laughs> yeah. This is not a good episode for people listening to a, to a fighter's episode. Okay, so um, really quickly, before we jump into it, have you guys played at many tables with fighters? Very rare. I played one once, and that game didn't last more than probably three sessions, and it was the most clunky, uninspiring class I've ever played. Kyle, you ever seen I'm, table? I'm currently playing at a table with two fighters in it. One is like a multi-class monk, and the other one is a straight. I can't even remember what kind of knight she is. Uh, but yeah, I got two in there right now. They're they're useful. I mean, it's, but I'm more of a caster guy. It's telling that you can't even remember what the subclass is. I know it has some magic in it. Well, but... it'll be an Eldritch Knight then, because that's gotta be yeah, that, that's the one. All right, so. I've actually DM'd a couple of fighters long-term. I DM'd Terry. He was a champion, which is the most fightery fighter that ever fightered. And he was a variant human to boot, James. So um, QDI was. Was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I also uh, DM'd Dan, who uh, was, he started off as a um, inquisitor rogue and then ended up 
multi-classing over to Battlemaster to quite a few levels in it. I have to say they were so radically different and they were so thoroughly flavorful because the fighter doesn't necessarily come baked in with everything that, that you're going to need to role play right on the page. Like a warlock, you know what direction you're going to go in. If you're going to play a necromancer or a thief or an assassin or a monk or a paladin, you have kind of a direction to go. With a champion fighter, it's really open-ended. So those of us that are a little bit more creative or that are really, really into role-playing should think about some of these other subclasses. And again, we've covered them in previous episodes. You can go check those out. Uh, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into um, fighting styles, actually, before we go much further here. But first, let's cover again a quick recap of what a fighter actually is. So a fighter is one of your main martial classes. It is known for um, fighting. Uh, it has a 1d10 uh, hit die, which means that you start off with 10 hit points plus your constitution modifier at the very beginning. And then you get 1d10 um, plus your con modifier uh, every level after that. You do have proficiency in all armor and all shields, which is fun. Uh, you are proficient with simple weapons and martial weapons, which I believe is all the weapons. I think so, so or thereabouts. Yeah, there's no more real like tables. There's it's 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 simple and, and martial. I miss the days of 3.5 when there was like exotic weapons and other crazy shit. But the point is, fighters get them all. All the armor, all the shields, all the weapons. They're proficient with exactly no tools, but the saving throws are strength and constitution. They get two skills from acrobatics, which makes sense. Animal handling, which is a little weird until you realize that a lot of people like to put them on horses, especially the cavalier subclass. Athletics, which makes sense. History, which is, I guess, about the, her the heraldic sign and then being a knight and whatnot. Um, insight, intimidation, perception, and survival. Uh, I think a lot of that comes down to the idea that they are supposed to be in the thick of it, dealing with people all of the time uh, and living to tell the tale about it. So you... Start off with a fighting style. You get it kind of right off the bat, and there are a number of them we're going to dive into in a moment, uh, but at but you also get uh, Second Wind, which is a limited well of stamina that you can draw on to protect yourself from harm. It says that right in the player's handbook. Essentially what that means is that on your turn, uh, you use a bonus action to recover 1d10 plus your fighter level uh, worth of hit points, but you can't do it again until after a short rest. There's also Action Surge, which you get at second level, which is like, ha we're going to do my action again. Now, you don't get your whole turn again, but you do get another action, which is going to be really important in a minute here. At third level, you get your subclass, which is called a Martial Archetype this time around. Uh, every one of the subclasses, or every one of the classes, calls it something different, but here we are with a Martial Archetype. You get your Ability Score Improvements at uh, fourth level, and then again at sixth, eighth, twelfth, fourteenth. 16th and 19th this is the one this is the class where you get to really beef up all of your stats again you can't go above 20 but that's pretty normal at fifth level you can attack twice instead of once um but this is taking the attack action this is not like multi-attack where you're doing multiple different actions in a turn your action is attack that attack gets to go many times you get to go uh twice at fifth three times at 11th, and uh, four times when you reach 20th level in the class, which very few people do. I'm going to read this one specifically. Uh, I'm going to quote it directly from the player's handbook because this is the one people forget about. Indomitable. Dan had it written in giant letters across his character sheet because he forgot to use it every single time it came up. 
Uh, and then when he wrote it down, he still forgot to use it every single time. Beginning at ninth level, you can re-roll a saving throw that you fail. If you do so, you must use a new roll and you can't use the feature again until you finish a long rest. You get to do this twice after 13th level and three times between long rests at 17th level. And that's it. That's all your shit. You get your subclass features, which is good. You get your fighting styles, which we're about to talk about. But remember, it's the ability score improvements at 4th level, 6th, 8th, 12th, 14th, 16th, and 19th level. What that means is, if you are playing with the variant rule of using feats, and don't just assume you are, talk to your DM first. If you're using that, you can pick up feats by the handful with this class. There's a lot of fun to be had. It's very, very customizable. Um, it does not have as much, what's the word I'm looking for? Creativity, let's say, is spell lists when it comes to wizards and clerics and whatnot. But you definitely have the opportunity to craft kind of the martial character that you're looking for uh, with far more versatility and uh, uniqueness than say a barbarian or a rogue, which are the other, or a ranger the other martial classes do you guys have any thoughts before we jump into the fighting styles so far no just really the amount of crap fighters get they are above and beyond everyone else and the things they get but you gotta entice people somehow i actually didn't know about the asi thing that's uh that makes a huge difference especially if you're playing with that beats feature yep it also is a, a lot of fun because you can take one or three or five levels in other classes uh, and multi-class out of fighter and pick up other little bits and pieces to make it more flavorful as well, because yeah. you're not giving up necessarily one of your ASIs um, early on or, or later. It gives you a little bit more customizability um, when it comes to multi-classing, which is fun for those little one or two level dips into sorcerer or warlock or, or paladin, because that occasionally stacks nicely. So let's talk about fighting styles. Now, we went over them very briefly in the first fighter episode, but it's worth talking about them again because we got a bunch of new ones in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. But first, let's talk about what we already have so we can compare them against each other. I'm going to go through the list really quickly. Archery. This is the first one listed in the player's handbook. And I'm going to read all of these specifically how they work out. So um, like how they're worded, because they get a little bit noodly and crunchy in some places. So let's jump in. You gain a plus two bonus to attack rolls you make with ranged weapons. Now, remember, not every thrown weapon has the ranged weapon um, modifier on it. But now, not every thrown weapon has the ranged weapon uh, descriptor on it, which means it doesn't always necessarily stack up with everything. Watch closely to find out what is ranged and what isn't. And remember, it's a plus two bonus to attack rolls not damage rolls. What this means is that if you're dealing with purely a 1 to 20, which is what most of us are dealing with with our die, you are getting a 10% bonus. This is significant at low levels and becomes less and less important in late levels. However, this will stack nicely with other modifiers or magic weapons that you may be able to pick up, especially when it comes to things like a sharpshooter feat. The next one is called defense. When you're wearing armor, you gain a plus one bonus to AC. Hooray. There's a little there's a little argument here about whether or not shields are considered armor, um, and they most certainly are not. Uh, because they're technically listed on the armor list um, in the player's handbook, a lot of people think that they are. It, they're clearly not, and it's been, I think it's sage advice, uh, Jeremy Crawford mentioned that they are specifically not considered to be armor, as in a monk can wield one or a barbarian can wield one without taking the penalties. Um, but 
So it's more like an accessory, like a purse. Yes. So that's, this does not include shields. So if you are wearing armor, you get a plus one bonus to AC. Guys, do you have any strong thoughts about this? Out of the two, I'd rather the plus one to AC. But really? even then, you're saving, what, 5% chance of getting hit? Uh, yeah, and that's going to really get overshadowed by the time that you hit tier three. When yeah. things are getting plus seven, plus nine, plus 13 to hit. It's very low level to make you a near untouchable force in level three, four, five, while the rest of your party, party's still squishy. Yep. And remember, armor ain't cheap. Nope. The next one is dueling. The next one is dueling. When you are wielding a melee weapon in one hand and no other weapons, you can gain a plus two bonus to damage rolls with that weapon. Now... This one at face value didn't really wow me, but I ended up circling back to it because remember, at fifth level, you get to attack twice. Your number of attacks increases to three when you reach 11th level, and at 20th, you get four. You can also do an offhand or unarmed attack as well, which means that is plus two to bonus, or plus two bonus to damage rolls with that weapon. That means that that's plus two, plus two, plus two when you hit, right? Yeah. These extra attacks start to stack up. How would you like to have a plus eight modifier? Be pretty good. Now, the question is, can you still carry a shield while having that? Yes, absolutely, because it specifically says no other weapons, which means if you're an Eldritch Knight, you can have your arcane focus. You can have your spell components. You can be grappling with one hand and beating with the other if you want. You absolutely 100% can carry a shield with this. Any thoughts on dueling? I'm going to ask you guys over and over, which one is your favorite so far? Uh, Out of them? Probably still the uh, plus one to defense for low level play. Most DMs I've played with are quite ruthless at low levels. You make one mistake and you're toast. So having that extra 5% chance is better than nothing. I like the dueling one. I mean, I like dealing damage. And I don't know if I'm going to play a fighter, I'm not going ranged. Interesting. I'm getting up close and I'm getting in your face. So... Okay, let's move on to the next one, which is Great Weapon Fighting, which gets a lot of love from a lot of people, and I'm not entirely certain why. When you roll a one or two on a damage die for an attack you make with a melee weapon that you are wielding with two hands. So there's a lot of a lot of, of uh, qualifiers there. It's an attack that you make with a melee weapon that you are wielding with two hands. You can re-roll the die, and you must use the new roll, even if the new roll is a one or a two. The weapon must have the two-handed or versatile property for you to gain this benefit. So you can't just use a rapier with both hands. No, I like it personally. It's guaranteeing you at least a second chance. Advantage on your damage roll, essentially. So you're going to get the same or better. So here's my I think people... Go ahead, Kyle. I think uh, the reason people like it so much is the same reason people like the lottery. You know? It's always going to be next time. This is going to be the winner. Oh, oh. Uh, Honestly, I agree with you 100%. It is the same kind of mentality. It's the gamble. Will this work? I rolled a one or a two. Am I going to do better? And you sit there and you think, what are the odds of me rolling? You've got two-thirds chance of rolling higher than a two, but you don't. You still have a one in six chance of rolling any one of the six numbers. So it's not actually like you're getting advantage and stacking them up against each other where you take the highest of either because you have to use the new one. You rolled a two and then a one, you take the one. This actually becomes really beneficial when you start to deal with uh, weapons that have multiple uh, dice doing damage because then you start to middle out a little bit. 
for every um, one and two that you roll with a greatsword, for example, you, you're going to get to re-roll those numbers more often because you're rolling more D6s than, than normal, especially when you've got these extra attacks in there as well. This is going to bring you closer and closer and closer to raising your average damage, but it's not really going to do major blowout damage. There's going to be, look, there's always going to be those really fun stories where I rolled three ones on my attack and then I got to re-roll them all. And now here I came and I rolled 18 and I chopped the the monster's head off. And that's great. And we hear all sorts of stories like that on the internet all the time, but they're rare. And for the most part, the math doesn't back this up as far as the lottery aspect of it Isn't goes. Isn't this the same logic though, as the three door problem, like from the wedding game show or whatever, where you pick the goat and then they remove one door, knowing that door removed is guaranteed to be the goat which is the one we've already rolled. Meaning we either have an option to get a goat again, or we have an option to get the winning prize. We yeah. have a better mathematical odd by re-rolling because you know one has already been removed. Isn't it a similar concept? Because you have more faces to potentially get above the one. But they can still come back, right? Yeah, you're either like, getting the you same roll two twos. Better. Yeah, you could roll two twos and then decide to re-roll them and then have getting two ones instead i don't know it's it, like you can either but my thought is you can either roll sixes you can roll fives you can roll fours and you can roll threes to get better than that one and two so you have I four I got a C minus in math so i mean really this is not my <laughs> this see, is not my forte see normally james i would agree with you if it wasn't costing you anything but it is costing you something it's costing you your fighting style it means that you don't get to do one of the other options so far not any of the fighting styles have been deemably worth it to care left or right in my opinion well, i mean the dueling you get plus two every time you hit right like that's a guaranteed winner every time whereas the other one it it, it might be and it might not be okay so you're not a fan of any of them so far let me tell you the next one is my favorite one from the player's handbook and that is protection. When a creature you can see attacks a target other than you, and that target is within five feet of you, you can use your reaction to impose disadvantage on the attack roll. You must be wielding a shield. So you come with you have to come with a shield anyway, which means that you're you've got that plus two bonus to your AC. That's just hard baked into the character at this point. But imposing disadvantage, no matter the level, no matter the tier, averages out at roughly minus four to the attack if you wanted to look statistics don't work that way but for the sake of a podcast without me standing in front of a whiteboard breaking down probability we can round it out to be roughly a minus four to the attack that is so much better five feet of you though right if if your ally is within five feet of you. so it's very not only party dependent but battle dependent if you have a bunch mm -hmm. of casters that stay far away or a rogue that goes into hiding, this is not useful whatsoever. Yeah, but if you got a cleric or a paladin. And you stand side by side fighting, sure, great. Yeah. But what, most what times if you play Siamese twins? Sides. Well, I think that the other thing too is this is going to put the. You say Siamese twins? God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You have two players, each one is a side. So it's a large creature. I want to play a baby Etten now. That's what I want to play. All right. Yeah, there you go. Um, or, okay, so here's my thought process. Nine times out of ten when I'm in a battle, 
that that battle and look and i dm i struggled to get those big open areas we're always in tight corridors who's rushing forward first who's going to be the person to get through the door who's hiding behind whom over and over and over again you have to keep in mind as well that you are uh you are able to um to control your own movement and position yourself round after round after round so when the wizard's just taking a shit ton of damage against the flying thing that you can't hit anyway because you're wielding a sword and board you can back up and just provide them with that extra little bit of protection i really like this because it makes you think about the battlefield it immediately made you think about the battlefield james i always think about the battlefield though i'm already planning for the aoe attack that's going to cover at least 10 squares but not many people do at least not nearly as much as they they should it's like what terry says Everyone is always fighting in an open forest at 2 a.m. or at 2 p.m. on a bright sunny day on a uh, flat plain with with no difficult terrain, right? And that's that's common unless you start to get down into dungeons, at which point we're always on a flat plain of stone floor, right, with a, a five foot or 10 foot wide corridor and, you know, three doors directly in front of us, no cover anywhere down the hallway. We don't play enough with Battlefield um and this forces the players to start thinking about that which i like because with the exception of the rogue hiding nobody else thinks about the battlefield well maybe a a battle master i don't i i don't see how you think about that i mean these are adventurers they wouldn't they constantly be thinking about the battlefield like my squishy wizard is gonna be constantly watching where everything else is and staying away from it ask any dungeon master who has put in a couple of months of dming and they will tell you that the barbarian will charge forward despite how many turns it takes to get there there will be there will be the sorcerer that plants his feet and shoots fireball and doesn't finish his movement phase behind the barrel how many how many how many players do you play with on a weekly basis, Kyle, that stay put and just shoot, 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 shoot? Uh, that's me. And <laughs> I <laughs> called you out. <laughs> All right. I'm very hurt by these rancid, but absolutely correct insinuations. <laughs> uh, the last one the player's handbook gives us is two up and fighting. Now, two-weapon fighting, um, normally you can attack with an offhand weapon um, in D&D, and I believe that what it does is it means that you cannot use your uh, modifier on damage rolls. Two-weapon fighting, however, the fighting style allows you to. You can add your ability modifier to the damage of the second attack. Boo. This one is terrible. Multi-class this with Monk. Yeah, multi-class this with Monk, and then... You get five punches plus your six off with a bonus. Plus... Hold on a sec. I got a toilet flushing. Yeah, that was just James talking. Yep. Plus, if you get enough levels in fighter, then you get extra attack as well, right? So this... Uh, but the, what? the problem with this uh, ability, though, is that you don't get any more attacks by having two weapons, right? You When you take your first attack action, you attack with one weapon, and then you take your other one where you're attacking with your offhand, offhand and then you're attacking once so again... Great. Like, what's the point of having two weapons mm-hmm. at all? I see that uh, it's fairly popular, actually, especially in my tables. Everybody's always holding a second. If they're not carrying a shield, they're not carrying an arcane focus or a holy symbol, they're going to be carrying a second weapon because it doesn't hurt to try. Yeah, Flavor-wise, I can totally understand it. Mechanically-wise, though, 
I feel like it's a pointless kind of feature unless they upgrade to weapon fighting in it or the mechanics for it, right? I feel like you should, uh, you get to attack on your bonus action with your other weapon or your offhand weapon. Uh, there's just- That's what I believe offhand is. Yeah. It is, is it? you use your bonus action to attack offhand. So you get your normal attacks as a fighter, what, three and then a fourth for your offhand. Yeah. And in that one, you get to add your, your damage modifier. Yeah, which you normally wouldn't. So mixing that with a monk where you already get a crap ton of hits. So none of these are, are really wowing us, hey? No. Nah. All right. Which one's your favorite so far in the PHB, Kyle? Uh, I'm still going to go with dueling. Yeah. Or I'm, protect. I don't know. Protection is really good, too. I really like protection, but I also look at the party dynamic. James, however, wants the rest of the party to die because he wants to win Dungeons & Dragons. It's not that I want the rest of the party to die. Is I'm not responsible for keeping them alive. There we go. So yours is protection, uh, which is defenses for yourself. We're protection for others. Yes. Your defenses for yourself. Defenses for myself. We are learning a lot about James this episode. You uh, already knew this. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm not learning anything. This is this is on par. Uh, let's jump over to Tasha's then and see what new shit they gave us to see if they can give us at least stuff that doesn't suck more. Because a lot of the additional content is not quite as good as the stuff that came out originally or leaves us feeling a little flat. Um, so without Power Creep, can we can we uh, expand a little bit? And I think they did an all right job. Let's, let's jump into it. I'm going to jump around a little bit on this list. Uh, we got Throne Weapon Fighting. You can draw a weapon that has the throne property as part of the attack you make with the weapon. In addition, when you hit with a ranged attack using a throne weapon, you gain a plus two bonus to the damage roll. So let's uh, let's unpack this because there's two parts to it. I'm going to start with the second part first. Um, when you hit with a ranged attack using a thrown weapon, you gain a plus two bonus to the damage roll. <sighs> Nothing special, but better than what else you've been given. I feel like if I get sharpshooter and archery and this, I can start to make darts really cool and deadly. Yeah. Um, but that's not going to carry me through tier four, right? Okay. I am all about this, but I think it has to be in conjunction with the unarmed fighting fighting style, right? right like hold on. I hold on. I'm gonna take a battle master and I'm gonna get a, a second fighting style. So I'm gonna go unarmed fighting and then the thrown weapon fighting, and I'm just gonna run at people throwing knives until I get up close and then I'm gonna grapple. All right, so let's actually, let's let's unpack this. Before we jump into unarmed fighting, all right, just give me one second. Here's the next part of the thrown weapon fighting. You can draw a weapon that has the thrown property as part of the attack you make with the weapon. Most people don't play with the uh, object interaction rules that exist, rules as written. And they are very simply, you can interact with a single object for free during your turn. Hard stop. Doorknob, flask, drawing a weapon. You can do one. I allow people to drop for free. So if you drop your sword, you just open your hand and it hits the ground. You can draw another sword. But if you want to stow it in a hilt, that's your interaction. On your next turn, you can then draw. That is what it is. Rules is written. Most people don't play that way, which kind of undermines this a little bit because this is fucking intense. You can draw a weapon that has a thrown property as part of the attack you make with the weapon. So first of all, that means if you have four attacks, with daggers, you can have a bandolier of daggers and just draw, throw, draw, throw, draw, throw over and over and over, which is really cool and flavorful. But additionally, on top of that, 
it doesn't say you have to throw the weapon. So if you're sitting there with hand axes, you can draw them, both of them, and just start wailing at people on that turn. It gives you a little bit more versatility when it comes to these uh, items. But again, these are not your damage dealing weapons. And as a fighter, I feel like you want to do damage. So it's neat. It's more powerful than some of the other crap out there, but it doesn't wow me yet. I think this would take your DM being involved in what type of loot you would get if that was your intention to be a throwaway. To have magic axes or knives or javelins or darts or whatever that are able to rank up with you or give you things that become more powerful each tier. The other thing to keep in mind as well is that if your DM already says, oh, no, it doesn't matter. You can stow one weapon and draw the other on your turn for free. This doesn't have as much impact. Yeah, but there's so, still the plus two damage. There's still so, the plus. I mean, yeah, there's still the plus two damage. That's assuming you can hit. Yeah, but I mean, it's different from dueling in that respect, right? That's true. Um, still entirely dependent on whether you hit. It's just I don't know. For me, I, I find it really fun flavorfully. All right, so let's jump into the unarmed fighting then, because you you prematurely blew the wad on that one. Yeah, uh, I know. I just get I get really excited sometimes. <laughs> unarmed fighting is another style your unarmed strikes can deal bludgeoning damage equal to 1d6 plus your strength modifier on a hit remember normally it's one plus your strength modifier on a hit this is 1d6 even monks at first level get 1d4 plus their their strength or dex if i remember correctly if you aren't wielding any weapons or a shield when you make the attack roll the d6 becomes a d8 remember you get this at first level at the start of each of your turns, you can deal 1d4 bludgeoning damage to one creature grappled by you. How do we feel about this? Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah, especially if you multi-class with Monk real early. Yeah. You could do one for one for the first few levels. Yeah, because, I mean, a Monk will eventually start to do more and more damage as they go, and they will eventually get to do d8s. Uh, but I, I absolutely loved uh, like I love the idea of you grappling someone and just just elbow to the nose, right? Over and over and over. It's a ah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and, uh, are, are, sorry, continue. Remember, at the start of each of your turns, you deal that one d four bludgeoning damage, which means that's not an attack. You automatically roll yeah. that d four. Yeah. Okay. So, are we going to be talking about maneuver options? Because I feel like one of the maneuver options in this like pairs so well with that fighting style that we have to talk about it. Okay. Uh, I wasn't going to in this episode, but here we go, Kyle. I know that you will explode if we don't. Yeah, I, I definitely will. So grappling strike immediately after you hit a creature with a melee attack on your turn, you can expend one superiority die and then try to grapple that creature as a bonus action. So, and you can add that superiority die to your check to, for that grapple. So going battle master, get a feat that gives me another fighting style, and I'm going throne weapon fighting and unarmed fighting. Yeah. I don't want to play that character so bad. I'm <laughs> upset. We're not going to be talking about this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like, uh, like okay, hold on, just for argument's sake, what's the um, what race are you going with? A Goliath. That's actually 100% what I was about to say. If you had missed that, I'd have been like, it's a Goliath. Yeah, um, no, the Goliath for sure, or maybe a Loxodon. I think that I don't quote me on this. I don't have it in front of me. I think the Simic Hybrid has a freaking tentacle attachment that gives you a thing about grappling. Oh, so 
I don't know if I if I'm drunk or not. Let me I I will look this up on the side while we continue to go here. Um, yeah, look, grappling is like the unsung hero of of most of my campaigns. Um, I grapple my players all of the time, and I love to then move them and throw them off of things or against things to the point where uh, Megan has real fucking issues with anything getting within about five feet of her because she knows a grappler <laughs> and she's always a martial character and I just shut her the like right down. So um, I freaking love grappling. This is something that I would 100% want to play. Yep, at fifth level for a Simic hybrid, uh, your body evolves, you get a grappling appendage. It's not called a tentacle. It's just a grappling appendage. Um, I'm thinking it might be like a crab claw before we all go to the dark place. So um, you have two special appendages growing alongside your arms. Choose whether they're both claws or tentacles. There we go. So there you go. Um, and you can use one of uh, one of them to try and grapple a creature as an action. Each one is also a natural weapon, which you can use to make an unarmed strike. So a lot of this stuff is going to have some synergy to it. Um, so instead of the bludgeoning damage normal for an unarmed strike, you get to do 1d6 plus your strength modifier. Um, and immediately after hitting, you can try to grapple with the bonus action. So there's there's some okay. more options in there. So <laughs> there's a lot of fun with, with this kind of grapple nonsense. I'm curious what someone's like ideal grapple build would be, because I'm sure there's something out there that is just upsettingly ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I know of a few. You need a feat. You need to be a monk. This would probably help cross-classing. Yeah. yeah okay. You can strike them, then grapple them because they're stunned they can't do shit and then you can hit them with all your attacks mm -hmm. then you second wind to hit them with all your attacks again yeah it's then uh you offhand them. yeah well hey, you're gonna have one amazing freaking round and then need to need to sit down with a oh, yeah, your massive burst damage yeah. <laughs> like you have um, a glass cannon shooting behind you and you're there to burst like a hundred points of hit points right off the bat all right, so uh, let's jump into another one. This one is uh, Superior Technique. You learn one maneuver of your choice from among those available to the Battlemaster archetype. If a maneuver you use requires your target to make a saving throw or resist the maneuver's effects, the saving throw DC equals 8 plus your proficiency modifier plus your strength or dexterity modifier, your choice. You gain one superiority die, which is a D6. This die is added to any superiority dice you have from another source. This die is used to fuel your maneuvers. A superiority die is expended when you use it. You regain your expended superiority dice when you finish a short or long rest. So this kind of lets you get into, if you didn't want to go the, the two, um, or sorry, the thrown weapon um, fighting, then you could take this as well as your grapple to get that, that good synergy too, Kyle. Um, yeah. you, get, you get those superiority dice. You get one though. Sure, but I mean that's gonna go really nicely if you didn't want to go into all that battle master crap. Yeah, you could, but I mean I don't know. I'm a hard man on this one. Um, here's what I, I there's a, a lot of cool maneuvers, but one superiority die is uh, I don't know, I I don't think it's worth giving up my fighting style options for that alone. James, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, nothing special. I feel like I've seen this before somewhere. And I'm trying to remember where I've seen this. I want to say that this is very similar to a feat. Yeah, it is, I think. Um, I, I remember reading this when it was Unearthed Arcana, and it was way better. Like, was this, is this Marshall Adept? Give me, give me I one. I think you might be onto something. Yeah, I think it's something like that. Okay, hold on. I got it in front of me here. 
So, um, Martial Adept, you learn two maneuvers of your choice from among those available at the Battlemaster archetype. Uh, and then, oh, literally the rest of it is exactly word for word the same thing. Yeah. So, Martial Adept is the feat that lets you get two. This is a fighting style yeah. that lets you get one. So, yeah, yeah. pass. You, you, don't, you don't burn the feat. So, you, if you really like it and you wanted to do it, then, then you can. Um, but we also have Fighting Initiate as well. Sorry, I'm, I'm totally off on a tangent now with feats. Uh, your martial training has helped you develop a particular style of fighting. As a result, you learn one fighting style option of your choice from the fighter class. That's the one I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, if you already have a style, the one you choose uh, must be different. Whenever you reach a level that grants an ability score improvement feature, you can replace this feat's fighting style with another one from the fighter class that, that you don't have. That last part's a little bit of a waste of your ability. Yeah. So, I mean... I guess technically you could be a battle master with three superiority dice if you were to take yeah. the martial adept and the superior technique. But I mean, <laughs> why fucking bother? <laughs> <laughs> um, next, working our way up the list uh, is interception. When a creature you can see, a creature you can see, hits a target other than you within five feet of you with an attack, you can use your reaction to reduce the damage the target takes by 1d10 plus your proficiency bonus to a minimum of zero damage. You must be wielding a shield or a simple or martial weapon to use this reaction. I think Terry said it best when we were talking about this on the Paladin episode. It's just hey, a worse hey, form hey, of protection. We never say that about Terry. We never <laughs> Okay. When some unnamed person mentioned it on the Paladin episode. <laughs> some douchebag. I think yeah, <laughs> some douchebag. I think they said it best when it's just a worse version of protection. Right, like because it doesn't rank up when you're in tier three. One d ten doesn't do shit. Right, but I'll, but I'm gonna give you this: everything in tier three is gonna have a plus seven or more to hit. Right, these big tier three yeah. monsters and creatures are going to get past that disadvantage all of the time. I know this. I just ran tier three uh, through tier four up to level twenty campaign. I ran it for a year, and it got to the point where they were imposing disadvantage a multitude of different ways. And I was shrugging it off because it didn't matter. So I was hitting with plus 17, plus 17 on two attacks. Like it's, it, it doesn't matter at that point. However, if I'm rolling 3d8 against you, uh, and so that's, uh, or let's, uh, let's pick a better number. Let's go um, 6d8. So that gives us a uh, maximum of 42, which gives us an average of, off the top of my head, 22, roughly. If you can once a turn knock that down by 12 minimum, Turn a 22 damage into a 10 every turn. That stacks up pretty quickly. I'd say that it's better than protection. Yeah, there's an argument to be made. James, any thoughts? I think a lot of this boils down to the type of game you're playing. If you're playing up to tier four, I think this is better as well. But if you're only going to make it to the end of beginning of tier three, end of tier two, the other one's better. Yeah, you also have to keep in mind too, as much as I just you know pumped the math on that, that's assuming you're rolling a 10 on the D10. You will roll lots of threes on the D10, right? So impose disadvantage or save, you know, six um, six points. And remember, you're giving up your reaction. I mean, you're giving up your reaction either way. But as a fighter, I want my reaction, especially if I want to be a sentinel. Once again, reason not to protect someone else. You get to keep your reaction. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the last one here, in my opinion, by far the most useful thing and you'll you'll see why in a second this is blind fighting you have blind sight with a range of 10 feet within that range you can effectively see 
anything that isn't behind total cover, even if you're blinded or in darkness. Moreover, you can see an invisible creature within that range, unless the creature successfully hides from you. I really like that. It's good, but how often are you going to use it? Especially at lower levels. I don't know. I'm, I'm currently playing Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and if I didn't have whatever uh, dark vision, I could see it coming in handy sometimes, but it, like it's a handful of times so far. So what's interesting here for me is, is threefold. One, this is going to stack really well with all of your darkness casters as well. Um, this is also going to be absolutely huge for your human fighters, which there are many. You get all the flavor of weird daredevil shit because you effectively see anything. But most importantly, you get to see things like um, Wall of Force, which is an invisible spell. The really nasty DM tricks out there that revolve around things like hags and uh, incubi and succubi who rely on being invisible and stuff. It, you guys, don't, okay, Kyle, you don't know. James knows. I love my imps. Yeah. Imagine being able to see Camion whenever he was around. Two more levels and I would have <laughs> had a plan. You had a plan. I had a plan. <laughs> so the ability to see invisible creatures is powerful, but you can effectively see anything that isn't behind total cover. That's huge. Even invisible objects. How many magic items, how many puzzles rely on the invisible object in the yeah. room, right? You'll be, you'll be able to see things if there's a, um, a spell trigger. You will be able to see anything that isn't behind total cover. You will be able to see trip wires, which means just regular mundane traps. I mean, it's going to make your DM get really, really creative with shit, which is interesting, but this is so beneficial. I think that this is just amazing. And nothing else that I can think of gives you blind sense or blind sight as a player. And as a primary caster, the number of times I wish I could have dropped a darkness on an area that I could see through but I know that would just screw with the rest of my party to yeah. know my fighter is able to see and continue the fight, if not fight better now, because the other guy can't see. Yep. Yeah. Big fan. Okay. Especially paired with um, the side fighter. Some of it, or sorry, it's um, the echo fighter. Yep. Some of it's uh, nitty gritty, which I'll talk about later, would be super beneficial with that. Cool. 10 feet thing, though, kind of gets to me, right? That's why I like this class for it. Right. You're also yeah. a you're also a fighter, so you're in the thick of it. This would be yeah. different if you were a ranger or a wizard, but you're a fighter. You're supposed to be in the center of shit. You're supposed yeah, to have darkness dropped on you. Yeah, the invisible things though aren't chances are gonna be spellcasters or are not gonna be trying to get close to you though. So I mean, I think it's very limited, right? Like you kind of have to hold stumble on a lot of invisible, that invisible things, creatures the way i see it though a lot of invisible things will attack you before the battle starts why would that, that thing that can go invisible wait for you to fight it when it can wait for your party to walk past and just slice your throat when you can see it walking past and be like the fuck the other thing too to keep in mind is how useful is this going to be for rogues who want to exist in darkness yeah so there are, there's definitely some, some uses, but that's the thing with the fighting styles that we're really talking about here is there are weird use cases for all of them. You can build a character around any single one of these and it'll be okay. It, like, There's nothing wrong with archery. Plus two to hit, that's fine. You're already a better ranger than the, the player's handbook hunter, 
right? Like you're, you're doing an okay job with that right away. So it gets even fuckier when you look at the other optional rule that fighters get, um, this optional feature from Tasha's, and it is the martial versatility. This is a fourth level feature. And when you reach fourth level, um, you gain your ability score improvement. You can do one of the following. You can replace a fighting style you know with another fighting style available to fighters. Or if you know any maneuvers from the Battlemaster archetype, you can replace it with another one, which suddenly means that the uh, martial adept and the superior technique become a little bit more viable. And you get to do this every time you get an ASI. Yeah, is this great ability. instead of your ASI, or is it... Nope, it's, nah, it's in wow. addition to it. It's when you reach a level that grants an ASI. Okay, yeah, this one's by far the best, because you can do protection low levels to protect your ass, and then change it up as you go higher. Yeah, exactly. So, let's grab our dice. I want to roll initiative really quickly before we, uh, before we move on, okay? 17. I got a 4. 7. All right, so Kyle, then James, then myself. Do you... Do, do you allow this this martial versatility at your table if you're a DM? Hell yeah. I, it's I, it's the same thing with the cantrip uh, versatility all through Tasha's. I think marshals deserve to have their own version of it. Yeah, absolutely. I would allow it. Because table dynamics are always changing. People are dying. People are leaving. You know, how people are playing their own characters is changing. So it's nice to be able to not be pigeonholed into something. James, what do you think? Yeah. I would also allow it. I feel like it's a very baked in rule now for new players, since a lot of new players already play fighter because it's an easier class to get your head around. Feels like a baked in rule of you didn't know what you were doing when you chose at level one, take a better choice at level four, take a better choice at level eight, and so on. I'm a big believer in um, when you reach third level, uh, like your first two levels, you can change uh, whatever you want about your mechanics. Um, So for example, there are some classes that require you to take your subclass at level one. A cleric and I think wizard? I think so. I think so. Um, just off the top of my head. Uh, sorcerer. Clearly, sorcerer. So uh, anyway, if you aren't having fun in the first two levels, I allow you to change it. No skin off my teeth. Keep your character decisions the same. All your character's memories are the same. But we're just going to have different mechanics so that you have fun playing at the table. I have no problem with that. This versatility... I have no problem with it. Make it more fun. I also include right around level um, eight to 10, usually a, a, a pool, uh, what do I call it? A, uh, a pool of refinement where you get into it, you go in buck-ass naked and you can change your class. You can just completely rewrite every mechanic about your character, but not the backstory or, or their name or anything else. You just go in and you are essentially rejuvenated as a, a different reincarnated version of yourself. I have no problem with that. Let the players have fun. That's what this is for. Yeah. Hey, this is Adam once again asking everybody out there to send us your mailbag questions. As a peek behind the curtain, we start every single mailbag episode with 60 questions. They're arranged on three separate D20 tables and three dungeon masters that are featured on the show select dice that correlate to each table and roll randomly to see what questions will come up. And then they absolutely 100% have to answer the question. We get questions from Reddit, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and through our email address at info at and you can reach out through any one of those platforms 
to hit us with any kind of question. Most of the questions that we're getting these days are through the subreddit r slash it's a mimic, and I go in there fairly frequently to make sure that all of our tables are up to date. Now, because it's random, there are some very old questions that are still on the tables. For example, one that mentions Unearthed Arcana's version of the Astral Self Monk, even though it has now been printed in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. We run a mailbag episode every three months or so on average, sometimes more frequently, sometimes less. It's a mimic, you never know what you're gonna get, and sometimes you get mailbag episodes. Normally when we decide to sit down and do it, we have replenished about three quarters of the questions because as we answer them, we cross them off the list. So that's 20 down every episode. And then we replenish just organically 15 new ones just from people reaching out at random throughout the time period between episodes. However, right now, as it stands, we have six empty slots for questions, which is why we reach out to see who's got a burning desire to hear us respond directly to you. And remember, we will answer anything. Some of the questions we have already are how to incorporate downtime when not in a town, what our favorite adventuring movies are and why, what to do with sentient toilets, spells for arcane tricksters, and there's also a request for romantic advice both in-game and in real life. According to the schedule, the hosts that will be on the next mailbag episode are Megan, Dave, and James. So have at her, feel free to go nuts, again on Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or through our email at info at itsamimic.com. You can check the show notes for links to every one of these. All right, so we have two subclasses to talk about today, um, which means each of you guys has a subclass. So why don't you guys roll initiative to see who's going to go first? Okay. Okay. Oh, I got a nat 20. I got a two. All right, Kyle. It's you. Your dice are on fire tonight. Oh, yes. Uh, They were on fire on my last game, too. Oh, man. Fucking Dave was so mad. Good. Dave's your DM. That's your Thursday group. Yeah. (laughs) I got myself a magical goblin out out of a rune. And, oh, very excited about it. Anyways. Uh, have you ever wanted to play a paladin, but not actually be a paladin? Well, have I got the class for you? Cleric. No That's to right. both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm talking about the worst named subclass in 5e, the ugh, Purple Dragon Knight, which I can't tell if it sounds more like a sex cult or some type of penile cosplay. Trained in the kingdom of Koromir, these knights are dedicated to bravery through action. They are the defenders of the weak and the lodestone of the brave. Head to toe, they are the embodiment of the ideal knight, dedicated to protecting the innocent at all costs. While barbarians charge in headfirst, these warriors rally fighting forces around them, inspiring those around them to charge into battle. If you're looking for a class that embodies the idea of a stalwart defender and a leader, you need to look no further. In other words, fucking goody two-shoe do-gooders my least favorite type of character to play it does say you are restricted to knighthood background if playing sword coast or the banneret if you want to use it in another setting which makes sense these characters have a strong sense of duty and honor and are unlikely to stray from them regardless of outside factors if you're looking for a murder hobo fighter i strongly suggest looking elsewhere uh, because they will not fit in with the style of play necessary here. Uh, it says they are either lawful or good, 
not always both, but I mean, come on. If you read the description, it doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, that's personally. So for subclass features, you get rally and cry at level three, where when using your second wind feature, you can bestow a number of hit points equal to your fighter level to three friendly creatures within 60 feet of you, provided they can see and hear you. Uh, at seventh level, you get Royal Envoy, uh, giving you proficiency in persuasion if you don't already have it, or animal handling, insight, intimidation, or performance if you do. Uh, your proficiency bonus is also doubled for persuasion with this feature, which is nice. Uh, at 10th level, you get Inspiring Surge. So when using your Action Surge feature from the fighter class, uh, another creature of your choice within 60 feet of you that you can see or hear uh that can see or hear you can also make a ranged or melee attack. Uh, That also bumps up to two creatures at 17th level. Uh, And then finally, at 15th level, you get Bulwark, uh, where when you use the Indomitable feature to re-roll in an Intelligence, Wisdom, or Charisma saving throw, another creature of your choice within 60 feet of you that can see or hear you can also re-roll its throw and must use the new roll. What? what bullshit is this? I don't know, man. You also get the inspiring surge again at 18th level. Yeah, yeah, you do that too. But I mean, you you just get a second use of it. So let me get this yeah. straight, Kyle. I, I gotta ask. Your restriction is you gotta be a knight. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you get rallying cry, which inspires others but doesn't do it jack shit for you. Royal envoy. None of them. Yeah. Yeah. Royal envoy, which you gain proficiency in the persuasion skill or something else if you're already good at it, and your proficiency bonus is doubled for an ability check you make if it uses persuasion. Yeah, so you get expertise in persuasion. And it's specifically in persuasion. Like, it's not expertise where you can choose whatever the fuck you want somewhere else. Then it's inspiring surge, which is when you use your action surge, someone else gets to make one extra attack? Yeah. Not even gets an extra action. Gets to make an extra attack. Like this is all but, about but playing reaction. It's not for party. Free. It's not for free. They're using the reaction for this. Yeah. It's and then a shitty class. This, I'm gonna be honest with you. And then bulwark at the end is is when you re-roll that uh, uh fuck, I'm I'm mad about it. I'm mad and about it. And it's only intelligence, wisdom, or charisma saving throw, right? Whereas your actual indomitable feature, it can be any saving throw. So so half the time. Yeah, and you can only use these abilities. Like, I, I I hate that you have to use one of your abilities for yourself for it to have a reaction on somebody else, right? So, like, So this is the fighter subclass that doesn't get anything additional to fighting. No, this is the yeah. social class. Yeah. I think for a roleplay heavy session, yeah. it could be pretty good. But uh, for a combat one, it's, I don't know. Not worth it. Not not worth Unless it you're playing a all. big party and you're focusing on your support role. Yeah, yeah, big party or you're playing a lot your, of NPCs. Yeah, being by your glass cannon and allowing them to have an additional powerful magic attack when you do yours, kind of beneficial, but you have to be standing basically by them. Yeah, well, no, it has to be it has to be a melee or ranged weapon attack. Does it say weapon or a ranged attack? Melee ranged or attack. ranged weapon attack. Oh. Useless then. This is the most, this, this, the moment that Sword Coast Adventures Guide came out way back when, this was immediately hailed as being the most bullshit class or subclass that existed. Uh, and it has lived up to that 
the entire time to the point where um, no one in their right minds has played this except to prove a point to say that either they can or why would you right and so I this I just I don't I don't fucking get it why would they even build this this is the most okay I'm done ranting let's uh you have any final (laughs) thoughts on this before I go off Kyle nothing good yeah nothing good I, I I fucking hate it it's Probably the worst class I've researched so far for this podcast. All right. So, so, so well, thanks for filling me with the raging hatred. I just needed you to join. Whose heat is so hot it rivals a thousand suns. I just needed you to join James and I in our just general passive hatred of everything. Oh, thank so. you. It's <laughs> nice to be included. Let's uh, let's grab dice. I have some questions. Let's pretend for a moment someone listening to this wants to play this class. Let's try to support it and try to be positive for no longer than five minutes, I promise. Let's grab our dice and roll. The one time I'm going to yuck their yum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what'd you get, James? Seven. Again? Four. All right, I got a ten. All right, first of all, the stats that, that you would put into this strangely enough don't matter normally I, I i ask you know what are the statistics or what race and background synergizes with this like how do you mechanically build this class and it does not fucking matter because either you pump it into your your physical stats at which point it doesn't give you any bonus with that indomitable shit or you pump it into the mental stats which you barely use as a fighter anyway so why do you fucking bother so you can just essentially ignore the the subclass you're playing when you're building your stat block. Um, and as far as race goes, I mean, clearly a dragonborn, right? Yeah. Back, background is clearly a knight. You got to be a knight. Yeah. Like, you can't even go noble, which is ridiculous. Yeah. James, do you have any insights into a unique build that you would have for noble, this? Noble, negative six constitution, so you die right away. <laughs> <laughs> do the world a favor? All right. Um, Kyle, any any insights at all? Uh, I mean, if I was going to have to do this, like con, charisma, then strength is probably the way you want to go. You want to survive and you want to be able to talk to people. I think that's like you're going to be role playing with this more than anything. Um, I guess clearly more of a support character for background, just because it's like such a goody two shoes. I would go ASMR or maybe a human because also seems like a human to me but for flavor i would play it as an orc and i would dump the shit out of intelligence and i would just like try to be good you're right like you're right i am i am so smart i am biggest smartest orc (laughs) i do good and then you accidentally rob a caravan (laughs) accidentally accidentally (laughs) all right um the next question in your opinion what are the strengths of the class when it comes to role-playing the subclass? I mean, okay, that's my turn. I'm done. What do you got, James? Um, you can help someone with a con save when they just try to charm you. That's yeah. about the best they can do. Yeah. Um, I mean, have well, you what- ever wanted to play a know-it-all dick at your table? This is a great class for you. Hey, Kyle, do you know where they get the phrase purple dragon from uh like is it a reference to to a penis i on i i think it has something to do with cormier uh i'll be honest i didn't read too much background into sword coast 
Like you just got um, angry and then fucking bailed us. Yeah, I was like, why would I read more? I, I, it has something to do with the kingdom of Koromir. And it's like their symbol or that, there was a purple is, dragon right? at some point. Uh, yeah, um, the purple dragon knights were the officers of warrior elite of the uh, Cormirian army, the bulk of which is known as the purple dragons. It's their heraldry. That's what it is. Not even interesting. Nope. Yeah. Nope. I still think it sounds like a type of penile cosplay. All right. Like it sounds like when you dress up your, your dick. Oh, for sure. And some, uh. <laughs> All right. Um, are there any potential oversights or mechanical imbalances? The class. So, yeah. so first of all, I'd like to talk about how it doesn't get a fucking capstone feature, which is insane to me. Eh, all of the fighters, other- I was going to say fighters get enough crap that I don't think they need a capstone. Every other subclass gets one though, but doesn't get as many feats or ASIs. No, no, no. I'm talking subclasses within fighter. No, all mine of, doesn't. All of the other, yeah. There, there's an or an 18th level. Um, oh yeah, they cap at 18, don't they? Yep. Whereas the the purple dragonite doesn't. It just gets to do the freaking stupid one, the the one that it gets a 10th level again, which yeah. is. Um, you can choose one creature within 60 feet of you that's allied with you. That creature can make one melee or ranged weapon attack with its reaction, provided it can see or hear you. All the more reason not to play it. Yeah, they, they didn't bother giving them one because they realized nobody is going to play it that far. I mean, fair, fair. Can we, just, can we just go out of our way to say that this is by far the worst thing for 5th edition? Uh, yes. I, I think I've made it myself abundantly clear. Now, we did a really good job talking shit about um, druids in the first druid episode, and we've since rolled back on that and apologized. Um, If there's one episode that makes Dan super freaking uncomfortable and he wishes we could take down, it would be episode, I want to say 20-something, something. something? Uh, The first Fighters episode, where we went off on a long tangent about semen um, and it made Dan very uncomfortable. (laughs) However, I am not nearly as ashamed of either of those episodes as I am about this fucking subclass. This is the absolute worst. And thank you, Kyle, for covering this nonsense. You get advantage on a a freaking roll sometime in the future. Some initiative roll here. Um, yeah, that, that's I, I'm trying to give you something, man. It's <laughs> that's the best we got. Um now yeah, well, I mean, honestly, I kind of enjoyed the opportunity to just, just unleash uh, <laughs> my <laughs> negative opinions on something. So <laughs> you know, it was a little bit cathartic. So thank you for this opportunity. I think my hate for fighters is well documented on this podcast. Yeah, you're you're not a big fan in the first place, right? Nope, already didn't like fighters. I'm not a big melee class fan. I'm much more of a caster. But fighters, there's something about them just makes me upset. But I mean, you gotta you gotta dig deep for that that character inspiration, and you're not you're not gonna get it. The purple dragonite, on one hand, gives you nothing, but on the other hand, handcuffs you into not being able to do anything interesting. Mm-hmm. I just God, I hate it. I just hate it. Hey everyone, we'd love to have you join the conversation with us. You can meet up with us on Instagram, Facebook, or at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. Uh, you can also send us any questions or any ideas you'd like to see us have on the show at info at it's a mimic.com. And we also do quarterly mailbag episodes where we will answer 
anything you send to us. So write in whatever weird ass questions you got for Adam no, no, or no, no, James no, 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 no. or Dave or me. I mean, I would love to have something addressed to me. Okay. So yeah, hit us up. Join the conversation. I believe the one of the latest conversations we had uh, on Reddit, although this will be this will be released much later, but one of the latest ones uh, went off talking about the smooth molasses-like quality of James's voice. Yeah, I'm yeah, pretty sure that's that. just James's alt Reddit account. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my alt alt. Get it right. <laughs> <laughs> I got weirdly uncomfortable for a moment there, and it was a uh, you got a fan, James. Evidently. Apparently, yeah. I think it's more than a fan. Good. It was a direct yeah. request for an ASMR um, episode. So, instead of me just talking close to the mic, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> slow and slow. You guys don't want to get real famous, do you? <laughs> All right, we we've got another um, subclass here to cover something that is infinitely better than the Purple Dragon Knight. James, what do you got for us? I've got the Echo Knight. They've mastered the summoning of faded shades from unrealized timelines to aid them in battle. So at third level, you can use your bonus action to summon an echo of yourself in an empty space that's within 15 feet of you. And you can keep them around as long as they're not destroyed, dismissed with a bonus action, a new one summoned, or you fall unconscious. If you uh, go 30 feet away from them, they'd also disappear. Your Echo has 14 plus your proficiency modifier as AC, only has one hit point, and is immune to all conditions. If it's forced to use a saving throw, it uses your purposes, and it occupies its own physical space. That's cool. I'm already in. I Like, this is so flavorful. I'm so into it. Yeah, as fighters go, I actually kind of like it, but not as a individual class, as a supplementary to uh, multi-class with. Yeah. So with your Echo, you can swap places with it up to 15 feet away, regardless of movement. Cool. Sorry, you can swap places with it anywhere within the 30 feet of movement, but it only costs you 15 feet of movement. Oh, okay. Uh, When you make an attack action, it can come from either you or your Echo, no matter where it may be within that range. If a creature moves out of your Echo's attack range, you're able to use your uh, reaction to attack it as an opportunity attack. I just want to be clear. You said, so you can, there's a bonus action, right? Where you can teleport magically swapping places, right? And it just costs 15 feet of your movement and your bonus action, right? Yeah. As long as it's within that 30 feet. Yeah. Well, or you, or you could take the attack action uh, um, and any attack you make with that action can be from your space or the echo space. Correct. And you make this choice for each attack. Yes, each individual attack you make that choice for. So you can choose to go back and forth on the opposite sides of a creature if you did decide. And when a creature that you can see within five feet of your echo moves at least five feet away from it, you can make the opportunity attack. So it, it acts like it will still get opportunity attacks. So this gives you bonus action and reaction opportunities here. You don't get an additional reaction. It's your reaction. Right. But but you're able to activate it up to 30 feet away from you. I'm totally into this. This is so much fun. That alone's already really cool. But it's neat because you can teleport. You can swap places with the Echo. And then you both can sit there and wail on something. And you use your attack, right? Yes. And at third level, you can take an additional attack from your Echo. And you can use this time the number of your con modifier, a minimum of one. Resets on a long rest. 
this, this ability here that you get at level seven is the one that really sells it for me. It's called Echo Avatar. And as an action, you can temporarily transfer your consciousness into the Echo and see and th hear through its eyes. You're blind at this time when you do this. But the Echo can travel up to a thousand feet from your body without breaking away or breaking down. And that means you can also transfer to that Echo over a thousand feet away, only costing you 15 feet of movement. Because it uh, doesn't say being ooh. within that 30 feet range. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. And this, if you had the other one where you have the blind sense, having that ability, having this guy walk around with blind sense through a dungeon, yeah, he'll see everything before you do. And if he does go down, it only costs him one hit point and you're not dead yourself. Yeah. And you can just summon it right back. Yeah. I think it kind of bugs me that there is no cap on how many times you can manifest like I feel there should be should be like double your proficiency bonus or your con modifier. The fact that you can just keep summoning it back and summoning it back and summoning it back and then using it immediately on your turn too, right? Yeah. Use it as part of your turn. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to me. I'm like I keep reading it like looking for it, but it's it's there. You use a bonus action. That's the cost. It That's is the a cost. bonus. It just costs action. you a bonus action. If yeah. you make a new one, the old one disappears. And then at level 10, you get an ability called Shadow Martyr. You can make the pardon? That's just a great name. And it's it's the oh, yeah. It, it's yeah, I don't know. I just like it. That's fun. So you can make the echo take an attack from a creature you can see before the attack roll has occurred. So you use your reaction to teleport that echo within five feet of the targeted creature. And at that point, the attack is directed toward your echo and not toward your ally. This resets on a short or long rest. Mr. President, get down! Basically. Uh, and then at 15th level, you get Reclaim Potential. If your Echo is destroyed by taking damage, you gain temporary hit points 2d6 plus your con modifier if you already don't have temporary HP. You can use this the number of times equal to your con modifier. And then your capstone is at level 18. It's called Legion of One. You are allowed to summon two echoes and use them as if they were there on their own. If you summon a third, the original two both disappear. Also when rolling initiative, and if you don't have unleash incarnation left, you get one additional charge every time you roll initiative. Oh, yeah. Stupid. So you create two of these things at 18th level, and then you essentially can attack from three places on a battlefield. Yes. Mm -hmm. and teleport for only 15 feet of movement and a bonus action teleport to any one of those three spaces potentially 2,000 feet away from point to point because you can send them in opposite directions no i think you can only see out you're only one be able to send one in opposite direction yes that's yeah. right sorry but nonetheless being able to send one a thousand feet away to do scouting for you if you're yeah. multi-class with a rogue or even uh one of the better hunters this is insane to me this is yeah. Okay, I've got opinions. This makes fighter almost worth playing. <laughs> but not right. as the fighter, as the multi-class. All right, grab dice. Are you done, James? Is there anything more? Yeah, that's all the major stuffs. All right, let's grab our dice. I've got questions again. I, got I have opinions. 17. I got three. All right, James, because uh, we're not done listening to your sultry voice. Um, what stats, what race, what background, how do you build this mechanically? I would multi-class this 
I would probably go with actually a Yanti just because I feel like that'd be the right play. So Yanti has delved into certain magics that he's able to split his consciousness. They're able to use the ability to hide in the dark, to expand their vision. They see you can base their uh, dark sense that we would have gotten from the other fighter ability with their sneak of parts, where there's their sneak vision to add more depth to your role play. I definitely feel that this has got to be one of the the quote unquote evil races. Like it, it feels like it's a drow or a shatter Kai. Yeah. Right. Um, but the one that sticks out to me is the Dampier, which is the vampire race from um, Van Richten's. Yeah. Right. Like okay. I, I feel this has a little bit of that supernatural, like from the shadows, mm-hmm. a, a full moon kind of nonsense to it as well, which I really like. It's fun. Um, also, being able to stack this with Gloomstalker for multi-classing mm-hmm. would be amazing. Yeah. Kyle, what do you think? Um, I mean, for race, I agree with you. Uh, Drow seems pretty good. I also kind of like uh, a smart Kalashtar or an Earth uh, Genasi. Just something with a little bit of magic and mystery in their origin. Um, mm. But I would most definitely multi-class this with a Hexblade Warlock. Being able to cast spells out of your echoes while you're also hitting stuff or vice versa. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's got a lot, a lot of play to it. In your opinion, what's the biggest strength of this class? The echoes hands yeah. down at level one, the echo or level three, actually. Sorry. What do you, what do you lean into when it comes to role-playing as an echo knight? Um, I would do it as you're not always there. Your consciousness has been split so many times. You're not sure if this is your original consciousness. Is this a split that came back to take over the main body or have all the splits re-merged? Interesting. Did you check out the race that's also in Wildmount Hollow Ones? No, I didn't. Okay, so they're basically, you die and then the magic that's suffusing the world brings you back, but without a soul. Oh, that's cool. So you still have all your memories and all that stuff, but you're like, it's almost like a revenant, but not quite. Like, you know you're dead, and you have, like, some memories of dying, but, yeah. A and nice way like, to flavor that, too, could be the echo is your soul. You were calling back to your soul to fight with your body. Well, Oh, interesting. There's a, I, I'm sure you guys haven't read this because it's a bit of a deep dive. I worked in a comic book store for a number of years. Um back in like 2006 to 2008-ish in that era. And uh, there was uh, an X-Men comic, uh, an X-Men comic that was out, one specific X-Men that I really didn't know anything about until I started reading it. And it's a Multiple Man, which I think appears in one of the nonsense garbage X-Men movies. Uh, And the idea is that he can essentially build these echoes of himself. He just like, they step out of his physical form, become solid and, and start moving around. But it, it comes out in the comic book that every time he does that, it's one aspect of his personality. So his ability to focus or he's uh, super manic or he is horny all of the time or he's a compulsive liar or it just focuses on one aspect. And I think it'd be really cool to grab like a D20 table and roll to see which part of your personality, of your character's personality, the echo becomes so that like sometimes you get bravado and sometimes you get marvin the the depressed android from hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy like it would be a load of fun to get a different personality back and forth and then you've got to interact with it and make other people interact with this 
gives you a lot of opportunity to just I feel like it's very table dependent though yeah but well i'm speaking specifically for like heavy role play it would be a heavy heavy role play table most the combat tables i've played with would not put up with that well unless you play it for for quick and cheap and easy jokes um and uh especially if um (laughs) if the echoes are are they sentient not of their own accord they are under your thoughted command which me to me means even your subconscious thoughts are over there as well i like the idea of them being pseudo sentient but bound to you so you're like all right jump over there i don't want to but i have to oh my god and like yeah that idea sounds uh, excellent for the person who's got that notebook full of characters they'll never be able to play and they can just jump them into a campaign for like five minutes at a time and like test drive them out this feels like a character for terry very much so interesting um are there any potential oversights or mechanical imbalances in this class oh boy where do we start (laughs) james likes it because it's broken yeah (laughs) i also like it because it makes fighters somewhat fun you don't feel very generic with this well, when you dig into the subclasses, when you dig into the samurai, when you start to craft your battlemaster maneuvers and whatnot, you can get really, really specific and very customizable with the fighter. And so they, they don't feel generic. The champion feels generic. The purple dragon knight feels generic. And some of them, sure enough, do feel that way. But there are some. Um, the Psy Warrior is another one. The Rune Knight, they're very specific. And they're really interesting and really cool. Are Psy and Rune relatively new? Yes, but yeah, they're both from Cassius. Yeah, I think everything that's been released recently is starting to make up for fighters like with stuff like this. And there's other classes where you're like, oh, actually, you kind of now sound fun. Where yep. you're now playable with any race as opposed to I have to be some kind of elf or variant human. Look, yeah, that's fair. Kyle, what's uh, what's the biggest imbalance? Or uh, the fact that there's no limiter on how many echoes you can come up with. I mean, with Battlemaster, you have superiority die. Same with Psy Warrior, you have your Psy die. Like, there's always a limit to how many times you can use these special abilities. But Echo Knight doesn't have that. Every single turn, you can summon this thing on your bonus action and then attack with it. Like or use its abilities it's just you're not getting more damage out of it though no but the ability like uh being able to have that buffer for damage is a huge advantage i just i i think there should be a limit on how many times you can summon it i that's that's just a i don't know it kind of bugs me i i feel like if somebody wanted to come to my table and use this I would put on that restriction. I also think for the shadow martyr ability, um, there should be a limit on distance, right? Like that thing can't get more than 30 feet away from you on your turn. How can it all of a sudden teleport 120 feet to your other god? You can teleport a thousand feet while you're using its eyes. Yeah, but that's like when you are focused on it Yeah, but you're focused on it and go a thousand feet away and you can teleport it to it a thousand feet away yeah but that's like that is you like telepathically connected. yeah otherwise like, you are you are one in the same but the shadow martyr ability is different, 30 feet right? otherwise Let, 
because uh, the so, um the yeah but the uh, shadow martyr you can send it if if you can see your guy getting attacked 120 feet away you can send this thing there and then it shatters and breaks the second it gets there and can't use its reaction it has to stay within 100 and t- or 30 feet of you to exist unless yeah, you're but using- i mean it's already going to be taking damage and die anyway it doesn't matter that it's all like but it won't be the 30 foot range to take the damage it will appear there from the teleportation and before it can take the attack it will disappear yeah but it's still it still negates the attack against that other but it wouldn't no no that's what james is saying it's it 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 would shatter the second it leaves 30 feet from you unless you're in its eyes at the end of your turn once it leaves yeah if your echo is ever more than 30 feet away from you at the end of your turn it is destroyed and when you're doing this you're at the end of your turn to take a reaction are you not no you're in somebody else's turn turn. entirely yeah no somebody else's turn yeah no i I think i think kyle's Kyle's right on this it would have your turn to move back to get within those 30 feet otherwise it shatters at the end of the turn yeah like you could send it uh you can make it uh uh what's what's the word rush 60 feet away right dash Dash, thank you thank you bringing fart there um and then at the end of the turn like it would still be able to get 60 up to 90 feet away from you and then do its thing and then disappear right like it doesn't disappear uh, as soon as it's out of that 30 feet yeah so so let's say that james you're first you're the echo knight okay and um and kyle is your ally and then i'm the i'll be the enemy in this one because i usually am um you take your turn and then you see 120 feet down the road i'm about to attack kyle on my turn so kyle has his full turn so your turn is clearly over then it's my turn and when i'm in the middle of my attack action to kill kyle some sort of coup de gras moment you immediately send that uh, echo between kyle and i and it exists it becomes the target of the attack and this becomes useful because what's its ac 14 plus whatever plus your your proficiency bonus all right so it could get up to 20 at high levels right so it could be it could have better ac than say your um your spell cast of kyle's playing like a wizard right and so you set him up there the attack misses and now he's got to get back um before the end of your like it's your turn again he's way the fuck over there he's got to get back or shatter yeah that's fucky that's i i yeah kyle i think you're right that's that's an oversight in the wording to make it absolutely crazy uh applicable right like yeah this is my yeah my other thing too is uh like out of combat um repercussions right so can your echo just take the help action every time you're doing a skill check? So I'm picking a lock or I am investigating a room. It's your action. Yeah. It uses your abilities. So if you're taking the help action, there's your action for the turn. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can't do so it. So your echo can for sure take the help action, but you can't now attack. Yeah. No, no. I'm talking about out of combat. I'm like when you're going around and you're investigating something or you're picking a lock or you can't give yourself uh, persuading like the one thing how i would role play uh, i'll talk about that later but yeah just like when you're out of combat right and not in an initiative can it help you with skill checks not you because you can't help yourself with skill checks yeah it can help other party members but it can't help you the only thing i would say it could help you with would be intimidation because you could stab it it could explode and be like see 
I can do a thing, but that's more of a just happen to be a prop than anything. Well, and remember, he's not quite a prop. This is just like a super illusion because they're magical, translucent, gray images, right? They don't look like they look like you, but no one's going to confuse the two of you. No. So, I mean, can it can it take can it do anything that you can? Yeah, you're able to use everything through it from what I was reading. Yeah. It's just a direct copy of you. Yeah. Interesting. Uh so, like there's a lot of potential this would on uh this would frustrate me having to DM against this because especially if I had to DM someone like Dave who would spend all fucking week trying to come up with some technicality <laughs> to piss me off. <laughs> um yeah. Uh, do we like this overall though yeah I yeah really it's a like cool it. it's a cool glass i just definitely would put some restrictions on it i'm not sure that make I would, it i'm not sure that i would restrict it i would just have to really think outside the box on this yeah. especially at, at higher levels because if i was going to restrict this there's things in almost every other single class i would have to restrict to make it fair i don't everything's think- got something to one little stupid minutia that's broken in it let's keep it for everyone or no one what's interesting as well about it is i don't particularly think that it is overpowered because it's not limited by the number of uses per day um, when you look at the things that do have a limited use like uh meta magic or yeah. um uh channeling divinity and whatnot you're doing these great big one-off awesome um powerful things to do mm-hmm. or you've got this this pool that you're drawing from for lay on hands or um or uh what's another one off the top of my head your inspiration dice your your um your battle master superiority dice right there are these your key there's all of these huge pools to use from but there are again specific things that you can do the echo knight itself is fairly passive and mundane until you get it to use your action yeah your bonus action yeah, your action, your bonus yep. action is not getting an additional one unless you use one of your constitution modifier points for it. And when I look yeah. at the when I look at the design of it, I think about what happens. Let's say we put a, a number of uses per day on it, and the, let's say you can only use it three times before the next long rest. Right? You've used it three times. You go without it. The whole subclass falls apart. You're yeah. just fighter with nothing else now. Yeah. And right? especially when you get to level 18, you summon two, one gets destroyed, you summon another one. Now you're out in one battle. Right. And so I, I like the fact that you do have to spend a bonus action to do this, especially because fighters have bonus actions to burn. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you're getting four attacks a turn by what tier four. Yeah. Uh, right? That's, that's level 20, but uh, okay. But three attacks at level 13. Right. So, mm. I mean, what are you doing with your bonus action at that point? You're, you, you have action surge, second wind, or summon another Echo Knight, right? And, and I don't know. I, I think that this is, it feels really powerful, but I feel like this is just a, a teleporting fighter. I feel like it feels powerful because we've just gone over fighters. And, and fighters are relatively this. And we started off with the Purple powerful. Dragon Knight. So our expectations are rock bottom. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, we're not going to get into it tonight, but I would love to see this stacked up against the Horizon Walker, um, mm-hmm. the ranger who can shoot and then teleport after they, they attack. Yeah, I would. we could stack up this against several of the Tasha classes, and I feel like it'd be relatively in line for what everyone else is getting. Although... I don't think it's that powerful. It just looks powerful. Although... We're used to things like yeah. this being more damaging, 
Like you summon something, it gets three attacks of its own. Okay, mm-hmm. having an unlimited use of that, that is ridiculous. But you're deciding, do I take two or does he take two? Yeah. It, They're it just to you, get me advantage. It gives you more versatility on the battlefield, which is what we like about the mobile feet and the sentinel feet. It's why we like mm-hmm. battle masters. It's why we like samurais. Like there's because there's versatility there. It's why we didn't like the purple dragon knight because you mm-hmm. can't do anything with it, right? So to me, this also feels like it's a way to have more casters in a party. So if everyone wants to be a caster but one person, they can be an Echo Knight. And now they have essentially two people on the front lines. Oh, and keep in mind, too, that with the Echo Knight, if you were to, to pair this up with uh, your interception or your uh, protector yep. fighting style, you'd be able to defend both the back line and the front line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I guess I guess you never really know if it's going to be an imbalance until you actually play with it. So I would love to see this at a table sometime. Um, yeah. I think it also depends on the player. I feel like I could make that an unfair thing to be at a table, but I also- No, I would like, power game the shit out of that. I know I oh would. Oh yeah, I'd power game the shit out of that. And it'd be great. But there's other people I played with that would never power game it. And they'd be really happy playing that at a table without feeling underpowered compared to everyone else who's power gaming. Okay. No, fair enough. I'd love to see it at a table. Yeah. Either way. It's it's a cool, it's got great flavor. It's a very cool class. I, I like it. I do like it. Okay. So let's wrap this episode up um, by creating a unique inspirational character based on kind of what we've talked about, either focusing on specific fighting styles or Purple Dragon Knight or the Echo Knight. So let's grab our dice and roll initiative one final time. I got an 18. I got a four. A five. Uh, Kyle's been falling apart. We, you bragged about your dice and then it turned to shit on you. Yeah. It's karma, friend. <laughs> it's um, just like my sprinting. I, I start. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> Nothing. It, it wasn't going anywhere again. <laughs> um, so I'm going to build a purple dragon knight because I'm a forever DM. And when I get the opportunity to play a, an actual character, um, it's always for a one shot or a small like little I'm sitting in for a, essentially a NPC plus in somebody else's campaign. Um, so I get to do these kind of wacky little weird characters. I would have a goblin that 100% plays it straight as a purple dragon knight, inspiring those around him to do better. We can do it, you guys. I believe in you, but there's nothing to him and he's going to get his ass fucking whooped. <laughs> I, I feel like if I were to sit down and plan it with the DM ahead of time that this character will die by the end of it, then walk in and be the most inspirational little goblin of all time just to become a, a smear on the yeah. ground. Uh, <laughs> like it walks up to that giant and yeah. then it just... <laughs> before the battle even begins. With the rallying cry to get everybody else <laughs> and then squish. I, yeah. would, I would totally play a purple dragon knight and like proudly display it just to piss off dan and other people that know better yeah uh when when i say i'm going to play a purple dragon knight you know there's going to be that one person at the table whose head snaps up and goes what why what (laughs) so i i think i think it'd be a lot of fun um i can't think of any other reason why i would play a purple dragon (laughs) except to be like i'm i'm from the kingdom from cormier I'm here to represent the Purple Dragon Army. I am a Purple Dragon Knight, and you guys are doing a fantastic job. <laughs> because, like, like, I just summed up the whole fucking subclass. 
It's an NPC for sure. Yeah, it's, ah, oh God. I tried to do my best coming up with a Purple Dragon Knight. I just, you're playing with a handicap right off the bat. Yeah. Anyways, James, you were next. If you were to build a character. Uh, assassin to 10, Assassin Rogue to 10, and then 10 Echo Knight. Ooh. Yeah. Doesn't matter what race. Hmm. anything would be fun with i think playing a massive character would be even funner with that like a goliath or something so you're sneaky as shit and you know when someone's about to appear around that corner because they don't have full coverage and then you just kind of disappear and wait for them to pass that's pretty devious i would honestly sacrifice three levels of echo knight to pick up three levels of gloom stalker with that yeah that too i wasn't gonna triple class for this i was just gonna keep it simple with double you love your assassin hey it's base level it's already really good because anything gets assassin from a simple dex weapon yeah and Mm. a lot of especially a lot of casters use dexterity base weapons that's able to throw at least 3d6 onto my single crossbow shot that's assuming your initiative is high because assassin is kind of a one-trick pony. By round three, your assassin subclass is garbage. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You never take it all the way alone. <laughs> it is to supplement other things to hit harder. Yeah. Kyle, what's your uh, what's your build? Uh, my unique build, I went with the Purple Dragon Knight just because I figured I'd challenge myself. Um, and I am going to make it a lawful evil human. Uh, that believes the best way to minimize casualties is to be at the top of the board. Power brings control, and control brings the law. Penalties are stiff for those that cause trouble, and my gang will be there to pacify those who subvert my will. People are too stupid and irresponsible to be in charge of themselves, so I will take that onus. Kyle, are you supposed to make a character not describe yourself? Yeah. (laughs) Literally every paladin that has ever been at one of my tables. (laughs) Yeah, well, I said in my write-up, you want to be a paladin, but not a paladin. You want, you want a paladin, but with the fighter abilities? Here you go. All right. But yeah, I, I would make this just, uh, he, I don't know, someone who just, yeah, just evil, evil in the way that they enforce the law. But, right? I, love, like, but I love the You, you stole a loaf of bread to survive, to feed your family? That's a hanging. <laughs> oh, that's a paladin. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. That's... That's great, but then literally everything you have, everything you can do, is helping other people. Yeah, but helping my my backup, right? Someone's gonna help me build those gallows. Oh my god, the purple dragonite is the perfect like big bad evil guy that stands on the platform and just like encourages the henchman. No, get him to the left. Yeah, and never actually gets in combat. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any final inspirations from you guys before we wrap this episode up? Don't listen to our opinions on fighters. We're all jaded. You're jaded. Don't put that shit on us. We just don't like the Purple Dragon Knight. (laughs) Kyle, any final thoughts? (laughs) Um, uh, Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's all for this discussion on fighters for now. We've got a lot more ground to cover with lots of other classes and subclasses. So subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be exploring Rangers and all the updates that Tasha's Cauldron of Everything brought to the table. Thank you for listening to another episode of It's a Mimic Podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donation button on our website at www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some other awesome merch. 
You also, we also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out to the community. So please pass the words to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as many other podcast apps. Thank you for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Okay. I feel like you should have done that slower and sexier to really get that ASMR crowd. That's how we get our donations. that, Kyle. (laughs) I have the most confusing erection. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. Is your hand-eye coordination good enough to be a fighter? You know what? I probably could do it. Is that based entirely on your hand-eye coordination with video games or... No real-life hand-eye coordination. Yeah, just like in general. Like, how, how good are your reflexes? Like, when something's falling from a kitchen counter, can you catch it? Yes. Yeah, uh, I generally can't. I, I 100% could have, like, five years ago. And now I am broken all of the time. If I sit on a couch too long, my back hurts. I'm <laughs> fucking old and I hate it. I'm just... This is broken, but I could catch it still. Yeah, my I, biggest problem... I could catch it once, and then yeah. I'm in traction for the next three weeks. <laughs> I could catch it. I think my biggest problem is, though, if I drop something, my immediate reaction is to try to kick it or stop it with my foot, yeah. which has gotten me into a lot of trouble whenever I'm in a kitchen and handling knives. <laughs> so, I th- How many blades have you kicked? Ah, more than I'd like to admit. If you had good hand-eye coordination, you could kick the blunt side of the blade. Yeah, I guess it, well, at your I don't know, I'd have to flip it around, right? Because it's falling blade side down. Yeah, and then you Depends kick the outside edge to send it back up, and then you can catch it. Uh, I, I guess I got to practice. Come you on, have Kyle. stitches hand-eye on hand-eye coordination. Do you have stitches yeah. on your feet, Kyle? Uh, I do, actually, yes. I have, I have stitches in one of my big toes. From, from kicking a, a knife? Uh, no, from trying to kick an electrical box cover. I was trying to stop it with my foot from falling. Yeah. And I was in socks. And it was just like out of five, five to ten pound piece of metal that I tried to stop with my foot. This oh. is why fighters have a higher dex than intelligence. This episode of the It's a Mimic podcast is drinking. Thanks for listening. Bye.